Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get started. Um, it's 11 o'clock, and and I'm gonna need all the time I've got. So um, we'll jump into you know an hour class. It's really hard to imagine how you do something like this, and <clears throat> I'll tell you a little bit about it later. But because of some uh, things that transpired in my life over the last year, um, uh, I I ended up with like 33 typewritten pages. <laughs> Uh, for this class and so I finally just had to set those aside and kind of scratch out an outline you know from the overflow because there's no way we're going to ever get to that but I'd like to kind of know where where we're from uh, sorry about yeah, sure. I'm Caleb Panner this is Sandy Johnson okay from Campus Church in uh, Norcross Georgia outside of Atlanta okay great great Cecil Lopez here at Los Angeles Church all right Paul and Gloria Gonzalez from El Paso Texas bilingual church all right, El Paso. Impact, uh, Impact Houston. Houston, great. Mary, San Luis Obispo. Right. Santa Barbara. All right. Bastrop, Texas. Bastrop. Albuquerque. Albuquerque. Donna Wood, Camarillo. California Coast. San Luis Obispo. It's my wife, Tanya, by the way. Um, it's her first time at Pepperdine. Yeah. And uh, it's been a joy to have her here. And she's taking in a bunch of classes. I thought when I finally got her here, she'd just kind of, you know, go shopping or something. And <laughs> she's really enjoyed it, so let's see. Uh, Jason Swick from Oregon, Central Oregon. Okay, okay, good, so spread out. Bastrop is, uh, it says maybe in the program that I'm from Bernie, but I'm from San Luis Obispo. Uh, we moved in uh, San Luis Obispo, California. We, were, we moved in September. And uh, I was in Bernie, Texas for about 28 years uh, near Bastrop. And so uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's wonderful. We're glad to be out here. I'm a native Californian. And so coming back is, you know, we've been a lot, I've been gone a long time. So um, coming back is not like coming home, uh, but, it's, but it's good. It's really good. And if you've been to San Luis, you know how beautiful it is up there. And uh, so we're really enjoying that. And, uh, and this time it's without kids, it's just me and Tanya, and we're figuring that out, you know. Um, really, really, you know, we're empty nesters now. And, uh, so, anyway, I'm delighted to, to be here. And um, I, did, I did a class a few years ago, just to give you a little history. And I did it with uh, one of my elders and his wife, and, <clears throat> and we shared that together. It was one hour, and so I had about... I think my time was like 11 minutes, and, and, uh, and I was the only one that stayed within my time. So I'm going to try really hard today to give a little time for questions at the end of this. But I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, through an idea, Mike said, you know, I've been thinking about this, uh, how, how the coaching um, model of communication is so, uh, so well fitted for what we're actually trying to do in congregations. Actually, you know, if you study it out, you can really lay out a very biblical uh, notion of the body and how we communicate within the body. And, and once you do that biblically and then look at what it is you're trying to do with, with the coaching conversation, and I'm talking about life coaching, uh, business coaching, all those are, are basically the same. Those are very, very similar in what, what we're trying to do. So uh, I talked to Mike about it. I threw the idea at him, and uh, he said, hey, I like that. I'll put it in a file. We'll call you uh, when it comes around. And, and so they did, and I got that message. And I don't know if it was a few weeks later because a lot of things are fuzzy, but we were getting ready to move to San Luis Obispo, and I was remodeling our house, which I built the house with my hands, built the house. I was remodeling a deck, had it stripped down, redoing the whole thing. And I fell off of a second story deck and busted my body up and had a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. Um, and all kinds of things just went haywire. And one of those things was the way my mind works now is just a little bit different than it did before the fall, okay? And, and thus the 33 pages that I wrote for this class uh, that I'm not gonna try to uh, give to you in this, in this hour. But uh, so 
So whatever I'm going to do today, it may not be what I talked to Mike about, okay? It, it may not. The fall affected some things, and, and uh, uh, that, that's just sort of a, a personal testimony. But I think I'm all right. I've got two witnesses here. Uh, Susan and Mary are from the church where we're ministering now. And so I've been preaching for about seven, eight months now. And so you can talk to them and say, is he normal? You know, and all that stuff later. <laughs> But uh, I, I'm delighted that you're here and that I, can, that I can do this. Well, like all the other folks that I've experienced through the week, I wanted to start with, um, you know, something about uh, a, a biblical foundation for a couple of things, just to kind of launch us. And, and I was thinking as I was listening to the different people speak, of how, um, how really, I mean, in, in all of our churches, if we can't, sit back and say, you know, the story of David Bathsheba and all the other stories we've heard. You know, our church is a broken hallelujah. I mean, it, it really is. If, if you're not in one of those, you know, we, we need to get you up here talking, okay? Uh, and how you managed for it not to be that way. But it, it's, it's sort of a, a broken hallelujah. And in Mark chapter 11, a place where, where I think we, we see that, it's, it's a place where Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it's the triumphal entry, um, and, and we're not going to look at that, but the triumphal entry happens, Jesus goes down and kind of looks over the temple, looks around at it and in it, and then he leaves the town, he goes out and curses the fig tree, and you know that story. The next day he comes in and he runs everyone out, now we're going to read this together, okay? So is it up there? Yeah, so let me get there. Um, Let's read this together. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written? My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations. The Judah made it a den of robbers, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So, so this story, um, how is it a broken hallelujah? And how does it relate to the church? So Jesus comes into the temple, the place where God had made his dwelling place, the dwelling place of his glory, his presence, for all the people, for all the people. It was to be a house of prayer for all the people. But as you know, the people who were ruling the temple had overtaken it. And they had set themselves up in that place as the ones who called the shots. Um... And Jesus goes in, and because it's a broken place, it's a broken place where the hallelujah of God and prayers and songs and, and all of that are to take place, uh, Jesus begins to restore that. And, and, and I love this story for, for all kinds of reasons. But, but what Jesus does here is so important in, in, in us connecting this with what we want to do about renewal and, and how coaching can be an instrument for that is that Jesus sees at the temple he sees this he sees that the, the ruling class in the temple has set in place their presuppositions about, about what the temple is supposed to be they've set in place their preferences for how things will run in the, in the temple the place where God came to dwell among men, among Israel, but among, among all men for the sake of communion and being in his world with, with mankind. They have set in place their prejudices, prejudices racially as well as how they think things should operate and their expectations of whoever's going to come to set them back in power um, you know, how they should do that. And of course, the word power is the big word there. In the temple place, you've got a people who have decided how the temple is going to be run, and they are in the place of power 
what Jesus does here, and, and I said this uh, early when I was preaching through Mark uh, at San Luis Obispo, I said, you know, this text is really not about, and I hope you'll understand this, it is not about whether or not we can sell somebody's books in the foyer of the church. <laughs> that is not what this text is about. This is, this is about Jesus coming in and taking the power structures that have decided what the church is going to be, and I'm using church intentionally there, this is God's church, it's his people, and they have decided what it's going to be, and he comes in and he undoes that and says, I'm going to restore it because it's a place where God intended for all men to be able to interface with me, and you don't get to decide how this, this thing works. Uh, Jesus clears it, and, and there's some you know, things that happen after this, and I, I think one of the things is uh, the, the fig tree and all of that plays into the fact that this is a four, uh, uh, it, it's a preview of the fact that in some years this temple's coming down, and it's really not any longer going to be this temple, but it's going to be the people. It's going to be the people of God throughout the earth. But, but, but here's what, what I, want, I want us to see this, is that we're talking about, if you haven't heard this, you, I think you've probably been sleeping through the classes or the, the keynotes. But if you haven't heard this, we're talking about decline, you know, the decline of the church. We're talking about what do we do? Everybody's asking that question, not only in our fellowship as Churches of Christ, but even outside of our fellowship, because I'm in fellowship with a lot of those guys, and I know the questions they're asking. They're, they're wondering, what do we do? And, and part of the issue is, is that we have to be a people who give back, and I think I've got a slide on this, who are willing, no, let me, yeah, I do, a people who are continually willing to let go of the controls on how God can and will dwell in and interface with the world he loves, okay? That, to me, is what Mark 11 is about. It's, it's a hinge point, just like chapter 8 is the transform, uh, transfiguration. But this is another place. And, and if you haven't read Mark this way, he hangs around in places a long time. I'm not going to do a lot with this, but just to say at the sea. And, and then, of course, in the wilderness, he was out there for a long time. And then around the sea, he hangs around and he teaches. And then at the temple, he spends a lot of time there, not just throwing out the money changers, but reimagining re for the people what this place can be and what's, what's going to happen to this place and how God wants the heart of his people. So I, I, I want to put this in here to give us a little bit of a biblical foundation for, for how this connects with the bigger story that's going on here at the lectures this year. And I think this is so important that, that whatever we can do in terms of reigniting renewal in our churches, it's going to start with, it's, it's hard to even say this because this is not really under our control, but in some way we, we position ourselves in heart and mind and spirit and soul, we position ourselves to let God make the house of God what he wants to. That's what Campbell and Stone did. That's what Lipscomb we heard yesterday from from uh, Richard Hughes, what, what, what they were doing. If they lived today, they'd probably do it a different way. And, and we have got to be people who let go. Uh, one of the other things I want to say about Mark while I'm, while I'm there, this is the bigger story of the Gospel of Mark, and I'd, I'd commend you a book called Reading Mark in Context. Anybody heard of that one? Reading Mark in Context? Great book. Um, but anyway, uh, Mark has this rhythm throughout it, and, and the rhythm is letting go and going on. It's, it's sort of a dying and coming back to life, going away and coming back. And, and that's very, very much like Abraham leaving and then showing up in the promised land in and, and sort of a hidden way, but he's still there, and, and God now is going to go do something through him. Jesus not wanting to stay in the city where he's hit a home run in chapter 1, uh, the disciples come and say, hey, everybody's looking for you. They want you to come back and do the same thing again, right? They want him to, to hit another grand slam, healing and casting out demons and all of that. 
And, and anybody remember what Jesus says when the disciples in that, that next morning come out and find him real early? He says to them, no, uh, we need to go to the other towns and preach the good news there because that is why I came. Where do you think he got that? That is why I came. Yeah, from the Old Testament, but he was praying that morning. And I think his father was saying to him, remember who you are. You're not here for the limelight. You're not here for fame. You're not here for accolades of all these nice programs that you got going and all that stuff. We're going on. And we're, we're going to. So there's this rhythm throughout Mark that I would challenge that the church of all times, um, that we must accept. That, that that's the rhythm of how we move through history. And right now, if we're going to be have any potential and hope for renewal in our churches, I think that's one of the, the, the attitudes, you know, kind of like the, the sale, the attitude uh, that, that we've got to take is that there's a rhythm of letting go and moving on. Now, um, one, one of the things that, that I want to do in trying to transition here into, into where in the world does coaching fit into this, okay? It's such a, you know, uh, there, you know I saw some smiles, and I, I'm not sure exactly where they come from, but I've heard all the jokes, okay, already about coaching, and especially, we'll not name names, but a younger generation that uh, they all need a life coach, and then, you know, that kind of stuff, and, and uh uh, you know, all of that, there, there's room for jokes, but there is a good and up and serious side of, of coaching that I think that we can uh, very powerfully use. And, uh, and that's what I want to get into. The coaching conversation, um, let, me, let me read this and I'll probably restate it. Coaching conversation process as a culture creating model. Okay, so what I mean by that is this. What I want to try to do is, if coaching is going to um, help us reignite renewal in our churches, and, and that's a dangerous thing to do, is put two words like that, two re-words together, because it assumes that we've been ignited, and that it assumes that we've been nude, so we're re-doing you know, doing those things. Um, but anyway, we did that. I did that, and uh, I, I'll own that. But so I, I'm proposing that coaching, the, the, the uh, model of coaching, that I'm gonna kind of lay out some principles on that, is a conversation process that is one that can help us in the creation of a culture in our churches that can renew the churches. Okay, this is what the church can do for renewal. Now. Uh, a couple of things that I want to say on that. Okay, coaching. What, what are we talking about? Um, how many of you have experience with coaching? I, I see some head nods. And, okay, good, good. Um, uh, either you've been coached, you've been trained as a coach, uh, you've, you know, maybe you've even got a coach in your church, and I want to try to say something about that in a second. But uh, uh, that's good. So, so when I think of coaching, what I'm talking about is is, is a heavy use of, of questions as a, as a mode of or a model for uh, strategy for uh, how we communicate, okay? And that listening is a big part of that and that coaching, uh, we, we tend to want to go deeper into exploration of ideas, questions, uh, situations like in a church setting to explore, you know, things like, I'll just be a coach here for a second. So what has happened in your experience in the church uh, with that with that circumstance, with that hardship that you're going through? Uh, well, you know, we, we tried this, we tried that. Um, is there anything else you tried? Well, we did do this, and so how did that work out for you? Um, and, and so you explore, okay? And in the explore, exploration, there's the sense that you're looking for, um, you're looking for discovery. You're creating creativity, which, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to hold off right now. But I, I just outlined this. You're you're wanting to create creativity. You're you're respecting that um, people who are in our churches are filled up 
with all kinds of, of information and experiences and that the Holy Spirit is actually in the church. Now, I haven't give you, given you book, chapter, and verse for all that, but this is Ephesians 4, the body, each part working together. Mm-hmm. And, and that book is full of the idea that the Holy Spirit is in us. 1 Corinthians, um, um, you know, the, the idea of the Holy, being the temple of the Holy Spirit and even individually. Uh, and, and, you know, we quote those verses, but, uh, again, I want to hold off, but th- that's, that's the idea. So, so it's creativity. It's the Holy Spirit is in the body. It's, it's respectful of the fact that God created us in his image and that we are creative beings and we have agency. We have minds. We have feelings. We are whole packages that, that it might be a good idea to ask questions of the body and say, what do you all think? And, and what do you want to do? Now, now, I know that sometimes we're afraid of that question. I want, you know, what do you want to do? But in, in, in sometimes in coaching, what I run into is when I ask the question, what, would, what is it you want to do in this situation? A lot of times people say, I don't know. Good job. Yeah, I, I don't know. In fact, let me just be honest with you. The majority of the time that, that I have experienced coaching in about the last four years or so, um, that is the that is the number one number one uh, response I get. Okay, when I sit down with a business owner, I've done this with law enforcement people, the sheriff, uh, his staff, and uh, I've done this with business owners. I've done this with church leaders. I've done it with uh, married couples, people working with addiction in their home and trying to help the families um, get out of codependency and all kinds of things. Uh, a couple of occasions worked with students. So been in a lot of settings, and that is the number one response. I don't know. Now, if you get somebody, when you're asking these open-ended questions that create exploration and creativity, if you get somebody who, on these open-ended questions where they're really not a yes or no answer, that's, it's really not a yes or no answer to these questions, uh, and they just keep on saying, I don't know, I don't know. You probably just need to go on to the next client. Somebody else will <laughs> will uh, will find a way to get to that person. But that, that that may be an obstacle that you will not overcome. And insanity may be the attempt to keep on trying. Um, so those are some of the things that are involved in coaching. That's what I'm talking about. Creating um, uh, not just talking about what could be and creating creativity, but but looking to outcomes and 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 end games and and uh, creating channels through which uh, action steps and those kind of things can be put into place. That that's what I'm talking about in coaching. Okay, and uh, so so what I want to want to want to do here is is that's just kind of the scope of what what coaching tries to do. Uh, and I know that's fast, and I'm glad that others of you. Uh, you can bring out stuff when we have some Q and A. Uh, I'm glad others of you who uh, have had some experience with coaching. But what I want to do is back up just a hair and say that that if we're um, if we're going to look to the church to have any hope of reigniting renewal within the churches, and, and and I promise you, when you look at the data, that's a qu- big question mark for some people. Okay. But I've always been this kind of stubborn person about God's church that, you know, God can do anything. And if we'll just, you know, open ourselves up and, and be available that, that things can happen. But if we're going to do that, um, I think it means these kind of things. And, and, and again, this, this is what coaching is after. Okay, it's what coaching is after. But it's going to mean several things like this. First of all, and I hope this is up there. Being a place where questions are okay. Okay? Okay? Okay. Where questions are okay. I, of course, I've experienced it now for several years, um, but you know that questions are very, very powerful. A lot of times if we're in church leadership, and that's kind of where I've spent my life in ministry is leading as a minister, evangelist, pastor, whatever, whatever title you like for that. Um, 
a lot of times we know the power of questions when we're on the other end of the congregation <clears throat> asking questions that we don't want to answer, that put us in a hard place, you know, that makes us think about, okay, what's really going on here, okay? And um, one, of the, one of the difficulties with selling this idea that coaching is a great model is it does open us up for questions that are scary, mm -hmm. The, the consequence of that can be very, uh, you know, it can be very chaotic or it can be very conflicting because once you start asking questions and you create a context where that's okay, you know, it, it gets, it can get really good and it can get really dicey because folks generally have some good, and I was saying earlier, um, Questions assume something, and I didn't say it fully yet, uh, just a moment ago, and that is that, that our people in churches are filled up with the Word of God, the Spirit of God, with experience over years, but somehow we have maintained this, this sort of leadership process, and, and I've been one, so I'm pointing the finger here, but this leadership process where we're, we're still in the position of directing and, and really not wanting questions. I mean, how many of you have been in congregational settings, and I'll just raise my hand first, that I have been in lots of them, where when I approached my, my leaders, my fellow leaders about, and I, by the way, I was an elder for about seven years, uh, along with being the preacher, and uh, when I approached them about, you know, opening this up for questions, I can't tell you how many times I had heard from leaders, no, no, we don't want to do that. Well, why, why is that? Well, we, we may not have the answer <laughs> you know, it may uncover something that we're not prepared for, you know, it, it just may cause all kinds of problems. So, so, you know, that, that's a, that's a, uh, one of the considerations there, but we have to create co a context where, uh, questions are okay. And obviously one of the things <clears throat> that I, you knew I was going to say this, um, I think Jesus is now, uh, there's, there's stuff coming out on this all the time, but I think he's now, uh, uh, accused of, or it cl the claim is made that uh, Jesus um, uh, asked about a 339 questions, okay? You can Google it or look up some of the books on this. Someone said 135 and then, you know, 338 or 9 or, or maybe it's 37 and a half, I'm not sure. But anyway, <laughs> this enormous number of questions, like for instance, Bartimaeus, I, I love this one, okay? Uh, a blind guy and, and he says son of David have mercy on me the only person in the whole crowd who knows who Jesus really is right I mean, he probably not fully but he knows something about the messianic idea and all that and, and so he says when everybody else is confused about Jesus this blind guy a blind guy says son of David have mercy on me and that's very significant that he says it that way Jesus hears that they bring him over, and I, I'm just still amazed at this question: Is what do you what do you want me to do for you? And I'm thinking, what do you think he wants you to do for you? You know, he's blind, right? But isn't that a great question? Because Bartimaeus may not want to be seeing. For, for several reasons, obviously, I just don't have time to chase that, but for several reasons, but Bartimaeus may say, Jesus, I'd sure like to have a nice, warm house where I can stay and, and food for the rest of my life and, and people take care of me. You know, he, he may have that attitude or, you know, any number of things. You, you can, you know, you're smart enough to figure out where that could go. But so Jesus asked the question and in asking the question, here's, here's something I want you to think about. And I've, I've thought long and hard about this because, one, I, I do like coaching, and I'm in church, and I read the Bible. And so Jesus and his questions, here, here are a couple of things I'd like to, to think about. He, he, I think Jesus asks questions because he wants to know where people are, and he wants them to know too, Okay. And, and that's, that's really what a coach is after. You know, he, uh, a coach is trying to help somebody, so the focus is on him knowing. But, but Jesus is, is just 
so masterful with this. He wants uh, to know where people are. And, and so I hear the church answer that I, that I kind of grew up with, and I haven't even bought into my studies for a long time, and I don't any longer. But, you know, the church answer is that, well, Jesus already knew everything, you know, and so, you know, he, he knew. He was just... He was just wanting the guy to say this. He was, he was trying to sort of strategically manipulate him into the place that he needed to be and all that. I, I just don't, I'm not good with that, okay? I think Jesus wanted to know. If, if, if Jesus was treating people um, the way I'm going to follow up and, and say here, uh, I, I think that it was more than that. But he wanted them to know as well. You know, when we, when we are asked a question, um, you know, uh, you you tell me, um, you know, my uh, I'm going to this church and the leaders do not communicate with us. We don't know what's going on, and um, there's a church just down the road where people say there's just this wonderful flow, and, and you know, and I say, what do you want to do? That creates all kinds of other questions. And, and things that you're going to have to consider, you know, and am, am I coming to church, you know, there because that church is a, a perfect church? Is it, is it, you know, the quintessential church that everybody's going to say, hey, everything goes great and all that? Do I need that kind of place? I'm just saying that the question brings on lots of reflection, and I think that Jesus considered people capable, people capable of reflection, and I think Jesus believed that people were um, capable of creativity. Now, I want to camp on creativity for just a second here. So, in, in church, as, as a lot of us have experienced, one of the things that, that I think that we really struggle with is this, this element right here, this, this creativity issue. And part of it is because, and, and I'm just as guilty, and here I am just, you know, droning on at you, okay? So I'm guilty as anybody else, but it's been a lot of telling and one-way stuff, and I'm actually going to get to that in a second, but uh, that kind of thing. And so creativity has had a hard time blossoming, blossoming in our, our congregations. And I think one of the other things is, uh, as well, and, and a lot of others have said things about this, and I'm sure you've thought through this this idea, but... When your, your focus has been on um, what's right or that, you know, we're right and we've got things right, why would you want to be creative? It's like, it's like talking to somebody who's your analytical, uh, critical thinker, organizer, and you say something is wrong with their idea, and they're like, wrong. You know, why would you... Why would you want to mess with my idea? I mean, it's, they, they perfected it, right? They <laughs> analyzed it, critical thinking. You know, it, it's, it's kind of like that. So with Churches of Christ, we, you know, my experience through the years with them has been that we've camped on that, that being right has sort of been our, our history and the way we are. That does not allow for a lot of creativity. Not only that, it doesn't allow for, for a lot of questions. Uh, questions are going to be hard for us to um, to you know, to endure, uh, because it does open it up for creativity. But what I want to say, just in a, a nutshell, is this, that if God is creative, and he created us in his image, and he made us image bearers in the world to co-create with him, and to be participants in the renewal of the creation, then wouldn't wouldn't Jesus' questions assume that he's open for creativity? And wouldn't all those passages in, in Ephesians and Colossians and uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that are body uh, kinds of passages, when it talks about each being important and tying us and holding us together, wouldn't that assume that there's creativity built into the body of Christ? I think so. I, I really think so. And so, you know, questions have a way of honoring that, and, and uh, Jesus considered people capable of that. And, and we, we should trust that. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but he, finally, he believed questions a sufficient encounter. I, 
I have walked away from conversations where I left someone with a con- with a question, and I have just I've agonized over it. You know, what did they think? Where'd they go with that? Uh, you know, I didn't say the right thing. I didn't have control over that. And and somehow Jesus kind of thought that asking questions was a good full encounter and trusted that people would go away and do with that, you know, what they what they needed to do. And uh, um, so so those are just a, a couple ideas on the, the questions. And, and we can come back to that in the, if I can get some Q&A in here. Uh, and so the second thing is what can churches do, I, I think is this, valuing, listening as much as telling. Now, I, don't think I have to go too far with that because I've sort of hinted at that already. But valuing listening, when, you know, once we ask a question, and Jesus asked lots of questions, not that he was a coach, I'm not trying to sell that, but he used a methodology that tended to bring people out and, and to say what they, they thought. Now, some people didn't like to say what they were thinking, but it, it, it caused that. And, and so we, we've got to value listening as much as telling. One of the things I like to say about this is that in, in my years as, as a minister, you know, some people are, are sort of intuitively coaches and, and some are not. I, I know a couple of friends of mine who have been to coach training and they're preachers. And, and I, I've talked to them about how coaching needs to really, we need to talk about it in our churches and what, what it can do for us. And they say, I'm not going to do that because I hate coaching, you know. <laughs> because they, say, I've been, they, they will say, we've been preaching all of our lives and telling people, you know, what the gospel is and what the truth is and how to do things. And now you're telling me we've got to ask. We've, we've got to ask questions. And we've got to sit back and wait. And, you know, listening is one of those things that, that I believe that Jesus wanted to know. He listened. Um, I, I, I don't know... Um, there, there's so many places I could go, but uh, when you think of Romans, have you ever thought about how many questions are in Romans? And okay, so I've studied the stuff about Paul, you know, in the rabbinical style and different ideas about why he used questions and all that. But but in the end, he used questions, and he and he and he and he wanted the encounter with the people that he was, and he, and he only wrote them like to the Romans. Uh, this is always interesting. We kind of see the Bible is written in a, this kind of vacuum. But Paul wrote those questions because he wasn't there with them. Okay, If he was there with them, he would have been talking to them and asking those questions. And there would have been dialogue about those things. So listening has to be valued as much as telling. Okay, And... Um, um, oh... Okay, so I was in a clinic for a couple months uh, because of a TBI that, that I told you earlier. I was in a clinic, and, and, and one of the things that, that I appreciated was that they brought a coaching approach uh, to how they did therapy, cognitive, physical, and, and uh, occupational therapy. And I did all three for six, seven hours a day. I did all those things for uh, almost a couple months. And uh, one of the things I really loved about what happened there and, and just so appreciated was when you have a TBI, okay, and it's called a mild TBI or mild concussive disorder, uh, mild concussive order or disorder, yeah, one of those. Anyway, um, when you have that, so it, it's very difficult for, for people to know how to help you, okay, because mild is from three, you're out three minutes to 30 minutes, okay? And there's so many variables in there that can happen in your brain, okay? So they don't know. So I kept asking, okay, when's this fog going to go away? When's my memory going to come back? When am I going to be able to uh, string three sentences together logically in my mind? How am I going to get these three people on a sheet of paper? I couldn't get three people from their workplace to lunch together at noon and, and I called Tanya, and I was crying and bawling, saying, there's something wrong with me, you know, and all that. And, and so what I learned was that they, they really don't know. So the person who's been out for 30 minutes and has a traumatic brain injury, 
they might quickly recover and, and you know, theirs is whole, totally different. So mine was three to five minutes, something like that. And uh, they said, well, we can't tell you when the fog's gonna clear. We can't tell you when this is all gonna, uh, you know, happen for you and, and you're gonna get past this. But we, we, we're seeing that there's progress. But we need you to tell us how do you feel? What are your struggles? What is it that you're having trouble with? And when I describe it, they say, okay, so we need to do this. But here's what I, I, I so enjoyed about it. It was not them telling me the program. It, it wasn't them directing and saying, do this, do this, do this, and, and, and in three months or six months or a year, this will all be cleared up. It was listening to the patient, listening to the client. And uh, if you don't get this analogy or this metaphor, I, I don't know what would work, but I love this. The, the church is like a big clinic, isn't it? We, we've <laughs> fallen on our heads. And, you know, because, because when I say the fall, you know, I'm talking about my fall, but everybody thinks I'm talking about, you know, Genesis chapter 3. And, but, but we've all kind of, you know, we've, we've taken that fall, and church is sort of like that. And, and, and so listening is so important to the process of renewal. We're going to have to listen hard because things that we've held on to, we've held on to that temple, and we've wanted to, wanted it, uh, a lady by the name of Morgan Thaler, she, um, she says, you know, we, we are addicted to our buildings and our programs and our systems and, and she kind of got out of the church for a while to experience what it was and found God was in lots of places. But if we're going to let go of the way we've done things, we're going to have to be willing to listen more than the telling of how it has to be done. Okay? Uh, and I'm going to race on. So um, the next one is third, trusting. Coaching helps us in our churches. It helps us in trusting exploration as the way to discovery, trusting exploration as a way to discovery. Again, this is really hard because it's not a one, two, three, four, five. We, we've always liked fives, right? You know, so, uh, you know, it, it doesn't follow that line. It's, it's exploration. It's, okay, so that's the state of things in, in your church. What do you want to do here? Well, we, we want to grow. Uh, what would that look like for you? What, what does that mean to you? What would that look like for you? Well, we want to uh, we want to be a big mega church. Well, forget that. You're not going to be okay. <laughs> no, no. You know, and you, so you you trace this and you explore. So what have you done? How how has that worked? Um, what have been the obstacles? What have been the successes? What can you learn from the things that you've done? What can you bring in and adopt in in, in a new situation? Uh, trusting the exploration. And, and this is really hard, and you've, you've all been here where, where you've tried to do exploration, questions, listening, and all that, and you know this situation. I know you do in a Bible class or in a church meeting or whatever. Uh, somebody throws out an idea, and before anybody can creative, creatively listen to that and raise other questions and explore that and be creative, somebody says, well, I know the answer to that. And they jump in and they say, you know, it's Acts 238. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding, okay? But, uh, you know, you know it's, uh, they give some, some answer to the question that represents a default to what we've always thought and what we've always done. And, and it kills, it absolutely kills the creativity and the exploration in that moment. That's why when I first came to Slow, um, Susan and Mary probably remember this, and I know Tanya probably will too, but um, I, I said something about in the clinic we had this no judgment zone. Uh, you know, that's, that's what it was called, no judgment zone, because, you know, when we talked about where we were going, what we, what we wanted to do, what we were uh, needing to, you know, put back together cognitively in our physical, I busted up about uh, 11 in the back and a few in the front ribs and some discs and just a bunch of stuff. And, and we were talking about our program and all that. Well, you know, it sounded like somebody was being kind of whiny and weak and all that. Well, this environment was not a place for judgment, okay? And those that were just totally, totally not seeing the reality of their situation and dreaming about big 
things that they were going to do. You just could not judge that. It was, it was letting, letting the conversation happen to where exploration happened. And, uh, and then celebrating the discovery. I didn't put that on here, but I want to say that the celebrating the discovery is something big in coaching, celebrating with people when they, when they find a breakthrough and they're on their way to uh, steps, to next steps and, and, and uh, strategies or, or outcomes that they're, they're going to. And in that clinic, one of the things that was so cool is, is uh, uh, and, and see, all these things have converged on me, preaching, coaching, and then the clinic. And, and, and so I can't not think about that. So if an apology is in order, I've just done it. I'm apologizing. Uh, but in the clinic, I, I remember uh, every little thing that was, was movement and progress, we stopped and celebrated it. And, and, I, and I thought, man, this is church. This, or at least this ought to be church. You know, where when we have those, those little breakthroughs or, or the big ones, whatever, that we stop and we celebrate that we've been open to God and we've found kind of the next step and, and that kind of, so let me go on to the next one. This, this is a really important one. And, and biblically, I mean, Ezekiel saying that God is going to send a new spirit into his people. And then in Acts 2, it happens. And uh, that's not just about Joel. That's a signal that the new creation in Christ has been launched, okay, if we understand Ezekiel and what happens in Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and then you have all the, the proof texts, and, and, and I don't have time to contextualize them, so you just have to go read it for yourself, but the proof texts of 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 and Ephesians 4 and, and all over the place where the Holy Spirit is at work. And, and so here it is, believing the Spirit at work in the body. I didn't say that he is. I think he is. Believing the spirit at work in the body means that we sort of, we believe things that are happening in the life of the body. Is the spirit actually doing that? Okay. We, we just, at, at Slow, we just had uh, a new uh, uh, nonprofit group in town. It's a preschool. Call us and say, hey, uh, we need a place. What do you all think? And we've been talking to them. What's really interesting is that's the third uh, group kind of like that, third opportunity kind of like that that's come along. The first two just seemed to come along. We talked, and, and, they, and they went away. And, and, and so I'm thinking, you know, God, you know, okay, so we're going to really look at this because um, the Holy Spirit working in the body and, and watching the reaction of people and the responsiveness of people to the, the movement of the Spirit. And people, uh, because of the Spirit of God in us, responding to that in ways where they see an opportunity and it, it's exciting and, and it begins to uh, create new ideas off that idea. And, and so anyway, um, I think the gist of this is, is really clear. Believing the Spirit at work in the body. We cannot, we cannot not value the, the members of the body of Christ and be willing to listen, be willing to learn from the body of Christ if we believe that the Spirit of God is in us and active in the church. Leslie Newbigin's thing where he came back and he said, you know, uh, somebody accused him of, of trying to kill the, you know, you're trying to do away with the clergy, uh, his term doing away with all the preachers and you know, all that stuff. And he said, now I'm not trying to get rid of the clergy. He said, I'm trying to do away with the laity. And he wasn't saying to get rid of all the members. What was he saying? To elevate the priesthood of all believers, yes. To where we, we truly do believe that, okay? So one more. And uh, so the last one is... Um, what churches can do to reignite renewal in church with this with this coaching sort of piece, a part of it, is you're working with dynamic outcomes and vision. What do I mean by that? That it, it's not setting, okay, th this is the way things have got to be, and they've got to be this way forever and ever and ever, okay? In, in coaching, you're coming back to outcomes. What happened? How did that go? 
you know, just basic, uh, you know, fundamental ideas. How did that go? What could we do different? Do we want to change the outcome? What's God doing now? What's the Spirit doing among us? And how does that reshape what we, you know, a year ago set as our outcome and our vision? Now, what is God doing? What's the Spirit doing? And so, the in, in coaching um, and what it helps bring is working with dynamic outcome and visions. So. How do we embrace what God is up to uh, in us for the, the sake of the world? Well, in, in those ways, I think those are uh, cultural um, conditions we, we certainly need to try to create. Um, so am I telling you to go out and hire a coach? No, but that'd be a great idea, okay? <laughs> uh, and uh, I know... Uh, uh, oh. I don't know him. I just met him recently. John Frank's son. John Reed. Reed. There you go. I'm sorry. Um, John Reed is working with churches in the area, and he's a, a coach. Uh, John MacArthur, trained coach, you know, but, yeah, I'll let him slide on that. Uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of John MacArthur cha- uh, trained coaches out there. Um, I'm probably saying the wrong. We got the name right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Anyway. Um, so one of the things that we can do is, is I, I have talked with a couple of uh, consulting groups in our, in our fellowship and, uh, you know, suggested that we take the consulting piece just a step further and, and we additionally do coaching, you know, on the ground or Skype or, uh, Zoom or, or whatever that would require, but, uh, to be open to what, what coaches can offer. And so uh, in our churches, it's, it's working with elderships. And I have a whole program in terms of the step-by-step process that, that I would do in that and, and have actually done. Um, but uh, that's, that's one thing I think is important. But there's another piece of this. If you take those five things that I, I talked about, and you may not know about coaching, but you can take those and, and just imagine for a second if in our congregations we created a culture where we actually did that with each other. You know, when, uh, when things come up, rather than uh, the questions being, do the elders uh, know what we're thinking? Do we have their permission? Is this okay with them? And that kind of stuff. What if we created in our culture, and because our elders get this and our preachers get this, that we're actually, you know, Helping each other ask good questions. You know, what do you want to do? What's what's going? You know, what's what's not working well? What what are the steps that you see? And do those? You know, what would this mean to you if you got there? What would it mean to the kingdom of God? And just learn to ask good questions of each other, and uh, and then uh, doing that for each other to help create, like I said, creating that culture. And I think. I, I think, and this, I'm going to end here because I want to give at least five minutes for this, but um, I think that creating this kind of culture in the church is a very, very doable thing, and I also think that it is critical you know, to answering these questions we're asking about you know, what's going to happen to the churches of Christ, where, where is this all going and everything. It's, man, it's letting go and going on it's taking our hands off the temple and, and, and us deciding how God is going to dwell in the world for the sake of the world. It's letting go of that and giving that back. Now, God can do that without us giving it back. We just might blow away, right? Uh, but I'd sure like to be a part of it. I really would like to be a part of it. And uh, I, I'm going to stop there. I, I can't add to that. Thank you for being here. Any questions or any insights, you coaches or, or people that have experienced coaching want to throw in on something that I've, I've shared? You have about five minutes. Yeah, I'll say something. So I do some coaching in our context and outside of our church context, but and I was a basketball coach at one time, so just different environments. I, the more and more I learn about the value of asking good questions is um, – I think there are some people in our churches that are drowning because we haven't allowed our vision to be big enough to match God's vision. Mm-hmm. We're trying to save what is dying, which is great. I think there's value in that. But 
there are people that have different gifts in our church that don't fit within our context. So they don't, they don't feel the freedom to dream. And when we as church leaders can ask open-ended questions to allow them to dream bigger than what we could dream for them and what they could dream for themselves by partnering with the Holy Spirit, Amen. I think we unlock a generation. Um, we were sitting at a kitchen table last night with a lady that's on our trip with us, and she really wanted us to tell her what her next steps were. <laughs> Badly. Exactly. And we couldn't do it. Yeah. And it was frustrating for her. And, and, and that's literally. hard to do. Tell us about how hard that is not oh, I, to. I, I have three steps for her right now, but I just chose not to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're all sitting around the table, Sandy and, and others around that table, and she's going, no, I really want to know what's next. Mm. And we said, we can't tell you that. What's next is, is you are a priest. You're a believer. That's right. And so let's awkwardly fumble through that and ask God what's next for you. And we'll walk with you. But we can't tell you what's next because it would be smaller than what God would have for you. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and listen to that. So, so what, one, it's hard. It's hard to do that, not to, to well, answer. It's, it's miserable. It's miserable, first. yeah. Because you're, you're sitting there watching this person. You're like, well, I don't know. And, you know, they're struggling through, well, maybe I could do this. And, but, but, but growth happens that way as, as people begin to assimilate their knowledge of scripture and experience and and it's not like we're not going to model and we're not going to teach right. and all those things but we've, we've done a lot of that and so we're we're in coaching we're, we're pulling on that to yeah. bring it out i think that's a perfect example of all of us and how we want to know what the future holds at least i do how's that working for us uh, it's not <laughs> yeah. um, exactly. and we are part of creating the future yeah. well you know under god's hand but we have to we have to struggle through those decisions together mm-hmm. we really do and we don't want to do that because it's painful to do that yeah. it's hard it's and, hard to reject and you know uh, one of the we, we've said this for years and years one of the things that we have trouble with is like silence right when we ask a question and we got to get good with silence because mm-hmm. you know it just takes time to process and, and to get to those those next steps. And the Holy Spirit can be in silence, you know, just like noisy talking like I'm doing. Yeah. Anybody else? That's great. Uh, I'm speaking out of complete ignorance here. Uh, I've never been a coach, and I've really never studied spiritual direction. But I do know that in spiritual direction, they they can point you toward resources. And I'm wondering in coaching, rather than, I mean, I've been an elder, I was an elder for 17 years and had that kind of uh, experience. But it seems like, and I know sometimes you have to leave people with in their lap for a while, but in a lot of seminars I've done, I always really tried to bring in resources that they could go to that would specifically perhaps talk to some aspect of what they're deciding rather than just, you know, leaving them feel like, you know, I've tried, I've asked the questions and I don't know. Anyway, that's just a thought. And what kind, in your coaching, what kind of offering of direction as to other resources that might stimulate them to go with the next step farther than where they are? Right. Can I address Good. that? Yeah, yeah. In, in my coach training, I was told it's okay to say, oh, there's a book about that. And then if they pick up on that, oh, I'd like to read a book about that. What is that book? So I can just say, there's a book about that, but not say, you ought to read this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah and, and let me just pick up on a real subtlety, and maybe it's not a subtlety, maybe it's to me, that we have been so trained that we need the expert. And what coaching does is it, it takes the, the role of expert away from the coach and puts it into the, the life of the believer who's Holy Spirit filled mm-hmm. and who's got knowledge of the Word of God and has some experience. Now, if those things aren't true, you know, there's, there's a format for that or there's obviously need for direction. That's why the church has teachers and prophets and 
know, and all that, and preachers. Um, but, but we've been so trained that I need the expert that we've failed to see how much expertise that we have. We just haven't been respected. And I don't say that in a, in a really bad way, but respecting the fact that we are the priesthood and we have a lot and we can formulate that and let God lead us and guide us. We, we just, you know, we haven't trusted that a lot. So, but, but yes, that was a great answer. Yeah, to use, uh, you know, resources and all that. I, I use resources, I like spiritual formation books when I'm dealing with somebody that's, you know, wanting to go that direction or, or whatever the context may be. Someone else? Okay, we're, we're out of time. Thank you very much, and, and God bless you and your, your churches. Yes.